Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Scared to death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no home, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hello, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hello, sir. This is the last Scared to Death episode of 2023. What if you just like accidentally slipped up and said like, this is the last scare to death ever? It's the last, I'm done. That's it. I this, quit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just so. kidding. Just <laughs> kidding. Everyone hope, calm down. I hope all you uh, creeps and peepers have a uh, good New Year's Eve. And then, yeah, next time we talk to you here, at least not on the uh, bonus, we'll be talking to you in 2024. That is wild. And thank you for all the love this last year. Uh, we literally could not do the show without you. Correct. Thanks for the ratings and reviews that came in in 2023. Thanks for the new patrons. Thanks for the existing patrons who continue to support us on Patreon. We'll talk at the end of today's episode about like where that support goes and how much it means to us. And uh, thanks to all of you who have also bought merch at badmagicmerch.com. Um, like, like the Layla holiday collection. <laughs> yeah. It came out a few weeks ago. Yeah. And, uh, and then I know you wanted to, uh, g- uh, mention the giving tree where that was at and then we'll get off into Storyland. Yeah. Yeah. And just so you guys know, this episode will be, you know, traditional and it's set up, but then at the end, if you'd like to stick around, Dan and I are going to chat a little bit. It'll be a little bit more like a little bit of what it's like on a bonus episode. We yeah. won't go that long, but we just want to talk about the year, uh, the Patreon, what that does. Dan kind of mentioned that. So after the stories, after the shout outs, after <laughs> the Annabelle shout outs and spoopy shout outs, stick around if you are curious to listen to us chat for a bit and experience uh, some of the behind the scenes. And then the giving tree, uh, you guys are amazing. I am blown away and humbled by your generosity. Uh, we were definitely concerned, you know, like it's been a hard financial year for everyone. The economy is what it is. And we just didn't know what was going to happen. But uh, y'all showed up in a powerful way. And this year, you donated $17,100 in gift cards, yeah. which is just a crazy amount of money. And kudos to Lindsay for wanting to mention this on a Patreon post and in some other ways. 
Lindsay, initially it was the least amount of gift cards by far that have ever came in. Yeah. And Lindsay was like, well, I bet people skipped the announcements and just didn't hear. And I'm like, no, I I was a little bit more uh, resistant to it. And then she pushed and did a post and it came flooding in. It it was like a very stereotypical male versus female. I'm happy to ask for help (laughs) and say like, hey, guys, we need your help. And like the male like standard of like, nope, I got it on my own. So I'm glad that we came to that conclusion together. Uh, Yeah. And so this year we were able to support 120 kids in having a wonderful holiday season, whatever that may look like. You guys really... You really did it. Uh, And then just so you guys know, uh, in the spirit of the transparency of how we operate Bad Magic, so we were super worried about the donations and Dan and I were scrambling to figure out how much extra we could give above our money. And it, it, things got a little convoluted behind the scenes and without like diving into like Uber specifics, um, there is going to be a surplus of money. We just don't know how much because as of recording, we're still shopping, we're still working on this, Mm -hmm. but whatever the surplus is, and we'll share those numbers with you once we have final numbers, uh, Dan and I will take the the extra money and seed the 2024 Giving Tree, and we're going to do things a little bit different next year to help have more definitive numbers and not have so many unknown variables. So again, it it is a little bit complicated and we don't want to bog you guys down with that, but we want you to know that we are honoring our commitment to $13,000. It just might show up in different ways than it had in previous years. And and, and if you are frustrated, which we get like, Hey, you know, I wanted it, you know, this year for my family, it came in well after when it would have been actually possible to get things to people by Christmas. Exactly. Like shipping cutoffs and availability. And so, and again, I apologize. There was a huge tech glitch that happened on sign-up day that we tested. It shouldn't have happened. It happened. We did everything we could to help as many families as we possibly could, as many kids as we could. Um, And yeah, we just commit to doing better next year. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's what we always try and do. Get a little better each year. Um, So what are your last scared-to-death stories for this year? Well, I have three stories this week. Uh, I have two shorter tales and then one kind of of average length. Uh, My first story is a tale from a veteran about what he saw while deployed somewhere. And my second tale is about a lifetime of, of visitations from the same entity over and over. And then my third and final story, so creepy, a very peculiar haunted hotel room. Okay. Got a good uh, all over uh, with the stories, which is great. Good, yeah, I felt good diversity. I felt confident in the hotel story, knowing that we weren't going to travel as much next year. <laughs> uh, I have my standard two. The first comes from Northern Nevada. We will visit the former mining boom town of Gold Hill. Learn about all the haunted lore that surrounds its old yellow jacket mine, and then I'll share a modern encounter of someone brave enough or foolish enough to explore the supposedly haunted mine tunnels. Then we'll head to Georgia, and I'll share the heavily documented 19th century haunting known as the Surrency Poltergeist, one of the most verified hauntings in American history. Huh, that's interesting, because I've never even heard of it. I know. I, I love these ones where you're like, oh, wow, this was all over the papers, and there was all these witnesses, and never heard of it. I mean, I get nervous to say I don't know, because, you know, we're just fronting, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and sorry if I cough at all. I just uh, got a little bit of a little bit of a cold, but I... Our household I has a touch of something. Exactly. All right. What are your last spoopy socks of the year? My last spoopy socks of the year are, oh shoot, let, let me show this like, because you could read it better. Hi, I don't care. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I think they're pretty funny. They are. They're cute. Um, now that you're getting cozy, I will start sharing some backstory before we get into the haunted claims coming from Gold Hill. 
On Scared to Death, we have covered a lot of different kinds of haunted places by this point, from houses to tunnels to hospitals, from asylums to hotels to cemeteries to schools, and on and on. We've learned that many, if not most, places where numerous people pass on to whatever awaits us all eventually wind up with some sort of spiritual stain, maybe. Especially places where something went horribly wrong at one point, or at multiple points. And now an especially intense amount of paranormal energy seems to remain. In line with this thinking, it only makes sense that many of the world's mines are reportedly very haunted. In the 19th and early 20th centuries, when new mines were being dug in America at a pace never before uh, or since seen, accidents were much more frequent than they are today. Mines would all too frequently collapse or explode, and a lot of people would suddenly and traumatically die. In 1917, 2,696 people would lose their lives in just America's coal mines. With that much death, unexpected tragic death, it comes as no surprise that many mines are reportedly haunted. And one of these mines is located in Gold Hill, Nevada. The town of Gold Hill, today less than 200 residents, and a shell of its gold boom heyday peak population of over 8,000, was incorporated on December 17, 1862, in order to remain separate from and not be incorporated by the neighboring mining burg of Virginia City. Gold Hill was known as a true working man's town as opposed to Virginia City, which despite being only a few years old, was already seen comparatively as opulent and bougie. Many of Gold Hill's miners would work the Yellow Jacket mine. Miners would extract over $10 million in gold and silver ore from Yellow Jacket and other Gold Hill mines during the heyday between 1868 and 1888, despite a great tragedy occurring shortly following Yellow Jacket's opening. Time now for the tale of Still Trapped. On April 7, 1869, the miners who worked for Yellow Jacket Mine said goodbye to their families and went to work just like they had on any other day. They had no idea, of course, that many of them would never return home. Later that morning, an uncontrollable methane fire broke out at the mine's 800-foot level, collapsing timbers and quickly spreading to neighboring tunnels. Only three dozen, or excuse me, over three dozen miners were trapped below the earth's surface as poisonous gases cursed, coursed through the Yellow Jackets' many narrow tunnels. Families watched in horror as fire raged in the mine for several days and then smoldered for several additional weeks. Eighteen dead bodies have been taken out of the drifts and shafts of the burning mine, the morning Oregonian, the morning Oregonian newspaper reported. Nine lay together where they had climbed to a drift 100 feet above the 1,000-foot level. Two of the miners killed, John Hogan and Joseph McClellan, were members of the Virginia Fire Department. Funeral this afternoon. In total, over a three-week period as the fire continued to smolder, 39 miners would die, but only 34 bodies would be recovered. The missing miners would still, in a way, however, continue to be seen. Reports going all the way back to before the fires and the mines stopped smoldering have stated that around dusk on many, many occasions, witnesses have claimed to watch miners emerge from the tunnel, burn to a crisp, their gear all but melted onto their bodies. Other witnesses are reported seeing strange glowing orbs over the years floating around the entrance to the mine and hearing the shouts of burning miners echo through the valley at night, pleading for someone to rescue them or simply put them out of their misery. Today it doesn't look like there's much left of the original Yellow Jacket mine. There's the incline chute and head frame, and then there's the miner's cabin, located at the bottom of the hill. The cabin once served as a break shack for miners between shifts, but it's now a part of the Gold Hill Hotel and is rented out to guests not easily scared off by reports of ghosts. But the old tunnels, while hidden, unless you're really looking for them, 
are still there. And in between hiking and drinking at the brewery lodge across the street, many have found themselves supposedly still seeing ghosts emerging from the ground near these tunnels' entrances. Ghosts looking like people crawling up out of hell and then simply disappearing. While the mine hasn't been active on any, le on any level since 2013, you can allegedly still access it if you're willing to trespass on private property and enter its possibly, if not probably, very unstable depths. One person claims they did enter the old tunnels and later wrote about their experience online. For as long as I can remember, I've always loved the mines. Most people don't seem to understand why I love them. I'm not a miner. I'm actually a computer programmer. So it's not because of my chosen field. And it's not like in most mines, there's all that much to see. Usually they're blocked off for safety reasons. And all you can do is stare a little ways past the boarded up entrance. But I think even that's still pretty cool. I wanted to see as many mines as I could on a recent solo road trip of the American West. I'm guessing my interest has a lot to do with, no, it has everything to do with, my grandfather. Grandpa Charlie grew up in a mining town, literally a town owned by a mining company. And he would tell me stories when I was a kid about all the things he'd seen. Like the time someone he knew found a large lump of gold and managed to squirrel it away by hiding it in his trousers. Mm -hmm. Or the time he and some fellow miners were trapped for three full days after a cave-in. And when he got out after doing so, so much thinking about the kind of life he wanted if he still got to live one, he ran straight for my grandma, covered in dirt, and dropped to one knee and asked her to marry him. My grandfather passed a few years ago, so I guess the road trip was my way of honoring him. My first night in Gold Hill, I stayed in the miner's cabin. I sprung for the extra cost to have a more authentic mine country experience. Away from the sounds of the city, from the constant honking on the highway and the grumble of overhead airplanes, I slept like a baby. I passed out practically as soon as my head hit the pillow, and I dreamt, not surprisingly, of the yellow jacket mine I'd read so much about. Is it open? I wondered as I approached, craning to see through the dark. And then I saw it. The boards that sealed the entrance. The sign that was so familiar to me at this point. No trespassing. I looked to see if there was a way around the boards to get in and saw a little spot near the ground. A spot where the wooden boards seemed to be coming apart. Loosening a little maybe. I bent my head down to look at it closer trying to make it out in the dim light. All of a sudden a board smashed as a hand shot out at me. Something behind it emitting a raspy gasp. Not words, just a formless scream. Exhaled air scraping against the inside of a windpipe. Then I woke up. Sunlight was coming in through the window. I didn't know why I dreamt like I did. I usually don't dream such vivid, intense images. Typically, it's much more mundane stuff, like going to the mall and returning a pair of pants to some girl I have a crush on or something. I chalked it up to my excitement. Then I remembered it was my day to explore the mine. After a quick breakfast and loading up my backpack, I headed out. I fully expected to hike down to the mine, take a picture, and return back. That would have been enough for me. When I made it near the entrance, predictably, I saw the boards, the sign that said, no trespassing. All right, I said out loud and started to turn around, but a thought wiggled a life in the back of my mind. What about the hand I'd seen, shoot out in my dream? Was that some kind of omen? Was it part of a mystery I was supposed to solve? As soon as I thought all that, I told myself that I was being dumb. Obviously, nothing like that has ever happened in real life. But when I turned around and looked near the ground, I saw it, the hole. The splintered wood, just like in my dream. What the hell? I whispered. I still fully intended to turn back around at that point, but something told me to go for it. That I'd regret never finding out if some special adventure awaited in this mine, and I thought, you only live once. I know that many of you reading this will be rolling your eyes or calling me an idiot right now. I get it. 
But hear me out. The why-nots of this are obvious. Getting stuck, having the tunnel collapse in on me, getting lost, being basically invisible to the rest of the world so nobody would even know I needed help if something happened. But what about the whys? I might never get the chance to follow clues from a dream like this ever again. I might not ever get to explore an abandoned mind, as infamous as this one again. And it wasn't like I needed to go far. I just wanted to see what lay a little ways behind the entrance. So I went for it. Slowly, I bent down and pried the loose board off. Came apart gently, leaving a space just large enough for me to squeeze past it. With one hand, I gripped my flashlight, bent down, and into the mysterious darkness I went. Stealing myself once I was past the entrance, I stood up and started walking, feeling the air around me get warmer as I went further and further underground. Plop, plop, plop. I spun around, but it was just water dripping onto puddles on the dripping onto puddles on the ground. Bright green water by the looks of it. I wondered if that was natural, or if there were still chemicals in here, harmful chemicals. I wondered if any future children I might have would now come out with two heads or a tail, and then laughed out loud at the absurdity of that. I kept walking. I know I said I just wanted to see what was right behind the entrance, but once I was inside, I just felt compelled to keep on exploring. Soon I realized this was probably the furthest that anyone had been inside the mine in years. I couldn't see any scorch marks on the walls from the fire. Maybe those parts had been dug out long ago. But I swore I could smell something, a faint tinge of fire on the air, a sulfury smell that lingered in the back of my throat. Walking deeper still, I started to see mushrooms growing out of some decaying support beams, which were now a little more than mulch. Seeing how rotten they were made me nervous. But it was not like I was putting my weight on them or anything. I was just walking underneath them. I told myself that if they'd held the dirt above them back for this long, they'd probably last another day. Just as I'd made some sort of peace with the beams, though, it seemed like my flashlight was getting dimmer. I was now struggling to see just a few feet ahead of me. And then past the edge of my vision, I could hear something other than my footsteps and the sound of water dripping. I could hear what sounded like a faint brushing. No, I thought not brushing. I could hear something dragging. In my mind's eye, I imagined someone pulling themselves along by their hands across a dusty tunnel floor. Hello? I called out. Immediately, the dragging stopped. Now in my mind, I flashed on the hand from my dream and something attached to the hand trying to speak. Maybe it had been warning me, warning me not to go into this tunnel. All right, I decided enough. I should get out. I spun on my heel and turned back and immediately felt my stomach sink. Just ahead of me, was a fork in the tunnel. Walking down deeper into the mountain, I hadn't even noticed that the tunnel had split. Looking only straight ahead from the backside, I could never see the fork. I was trying so hard not to panic. Which way had I come in? Both tunnels before me looked identical. I couldn't tell the difference between the darkness of either when I tried to get a sense of which one might have some daylight coming in from the entrance. As I just stood there hoping for some aha moment where I'd feel certain that my choice would lead me back out, I heard it again, the dragging, only this time it was faster, more insistent. Make a decision, Alex, I told myself, but the terror I could feel rising from my stomach was paralyzing me. The left, I decided at random, praying that the coin coin toss decision I just made would be the correct one. I sped up, walking ahead, splashing through some puddles of water and wondering if I'd splashed through the same puddles puddles moments ago, hoping that the dragging sound I continued to hear was coming from much further, much deeper than it seemed. 
But then that sound of dragging suddenly sounded, well, wet. Like something was dragging itself right behind me through the same puddles. And now I could also hear something else, a sort of thick, ragged breathing. I flashed on the noise from my dream, the raspy gasp, the formless scream. I kept going ahead and then abruptly, I stopped. What if I was leaving something behind, someone behind? What if something terrible had happened to someone, another trespassing explorer like myself? And now I was racing away from them, convinced that some strange, terrible, and come on Alex, impossible monster was coming for me. So I turned around, my flashlight swinging in my hand, and gasped. No more than 30 feet away from me, I could see a naked body, but it didn't look like any kind of body I'd ever seen before. It was black, covered in soot, and the flesh had almost been liquefied from what I guessed was an explosion. The legs gone from around the knees down, the arms ended not much past the elbows. The man's face, I think it was a man, was stripped of most of its features, but his eyes, they looked unharmed, bright, bright blue. He raised his head and looked at me, defiantly staring with such intensity before he let out another ragged gasp. I have no idea what he was trying to communicate. Did he want my help or to harm me? I have to admit I was too scared to find out. I screamed and ran as fast as I could. As I ran, I thought I could hear something rumbling all around me, the vibration I imagined that would accompany an explosion. The ground started shaking beneath my feet and I felt a rush of hot air blow against my back. It almost knocked me down as I kept running. I could see it now, up ahead, the little spot of light leaking out where I'd ripped the board. I'd picked the right tunnel. I made it outside and collapsed onto the ground. It was only after I caught my breath that I saw that I was absolutely covered in soot, even though I didn't remember seeing any soot outside of what was on that man. I waited by the entrance, wondering if the man was going to keep coming after me. I still felt torn between concern and horror, but all was quiet. After about 10 minutes of waiting and listening, after calling out a few times and asking if anyone needed help, I went back to the cabin. I regrouped for a bit and took a shower, then decided to spend the rest of my day going on a normal hike, doing some basic sightseeing, nothing underground, just looking around at some historical sites and taking in some amazing views. And then one last night in the miner's cabin. I drank several stiff drinks, hoping to pass out into a deep, dreamless slumber, hoping to help myself get over, at least for the night, the shock of what I'd seen. I did sleep a dreamless sleep that night, but around four in the morning, I shot up in bed, immediately sober and wide awake and scanning my surroundings. Everything in my room appeared the same as it had been when I passed out. Open suitcase, lamp on the bedside table, my clothes sprawled on the floor from where I drunkenly shucked them off. But over by the window, my eye caught some movement. There was someone standing right outside of it. A man wearing what looked like old-fashioned mining clothes. A man who had the brightest blue eyes I'd ever seen. Our eyes met and he nodded. I felt like I should have felt terrified, but I didn't. Slowly, he backed up and started walking towards the mine, where he was joined by other shadowy figures who followed him down into the entrance. I wondered, was he one of the men whose bodies were never found, cursed to repeat the last day of his life over and over again? Was he torn to pieces by an explosion that didn't quite kill him immediately, one that left him just alive enough to try painfully crawling his way out before he died deep down in the darkness? And could I have helped his spirit pass on to the other side by bringing him back out of the mine? Or would he have grabbed and held on to me, dragged me down, and kept me with him in there forever? Probably. He wants your life. He wants you. Ugh. Okay, I was so mad at him for going in there. So mad. You idiot. Like, okay, if you feel like you have to do that, first of all, I was like, of course, like you're not just going to go a few feet in. It's in those situations a little bit is never enough. You are, you're just a little bit further, 
just a little bit further. I mean, it's our natural inclination because like if you don't see anything, yeah. you're like, oh, I'm safe. It's okay. Like you just keep convincing yourself over and over that you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Not a great idea. Furthermore, I wanted him to leave a note somewhere, tell somebody where he is. Like if it was me, I was like, okay. I would have like texted or called a friend and been like, here's where I'm going. Here's what I'm doing. Yeah. But, you know, like yeah. uh, I've, I probably would have left a note on the boards going in like, my name is, my phone number is. Oh, yeah. I'm entering at such and such a time. Yeah. So that like in a very worst case scenario, there is some sort of collapse. Even if I die, at least the next person that approaches that uh, entrance knows like, okay, well, Lindsay Cummins entered this cave five days ago or whatever, right? Or this right, mine, right? Right, yeah. Um, and then also you got to like, you know, breadcrumb it. You have to like leave some markings as you go so you know where to go back. Yeah, yeah, How yeah. could you think that you were entering a mine that wouldn't have multiple ways in and out? It would just be so disorienting. Mm -hmm. You're not a miner. This, this isn't a space that you've been a hundred times. And I would venture to guess that any miners out there even today, would say like, even if it's a mine that you've been working in for the last 10 years, it's just probably so easy to get turned around down there. Even if you're going to the same spot in that mine every day, just a little variation, a little yeah. this, feeling a bit dehydrated. Like, I don't know, anything could really throw you off down there. Yeah, I was picturing that, um, how terrible that would be where it's like, I, when you're heading down a tunnel and and if um, something is forking, like like if you're, if you're heading down one of the top parts of the fork, into like the main body of the fork, you wouldn't see the other prong heading back at a 45 degree angle right. behind you. You would just be like walking down. And I mean, depending on how big the tunnel is, I mean, if you have a flashlight, maybe it would look a little darker on one side, but right. if you're focused ahead of you, right. you just see the, the tunnel continue on. Cause I think about that in the sense I've done that on trails. Oh, you know, a million times. Like, like hiking when you're outside and you're going down a trail and you're like, oh, you'll be fine it's to find fine. your way back because we're, there's just the one trail. Uh -huh. And then on the way back, you're like, oh shit, I didn't notice that other trail forking off from this mm -hmm. trail because I didn't see it because of like the brush and the way it angled behind me. Right. And just like what I was focused on, what I was doing, I was in a yeah. conversation, I was looking at the sky. I mean, whatever you happen to be captivated mm -hmm. by. Yeah. I know. What if I got real lucky? Like that other tunnel might not have led out. Yeah. Might have led to more forks and to him being just like hopelessly <sighs> lost. Yeah. He got really lucky that yeah. he picked the right uh, fork to go back. And I get the curiosity and wanting to explore it. I mean, there's this, sure. there's this old mine. There's two of them, two little mines. Like when you're driving from Whitebird to Riggins, Idaho on the left side note. of the highway. Yep. Yep. There's these little, and you're like, oh man. I mean, I've driven by them my the whole time I've been driving. They've been there since before I was born, I think. Yeah. And I'm just like, what is back in there? Like, what? Like, and it's so easy. There's one that's usually locked, yeah. but not always. And then there's another old one that's just open, just somebody's old claim from, God, who knows, a century ago, whatever. Yeah. And it's like, I, I could see totally, you sneak in there and maybe you see like a cool piece of quartz. Absolutely. And you're like, oh, I wonder if we went a little further ahead, there could be a gold nugget in one of these. I mean, who knows? It's yep. enticing. It's, you know, and it's something that is foreign to us. So it's even more exciting where it's like, yeah. you know, that's not a common profession now. I mean, we yeah. still have minors, 100%, but it's just not as common. And it's, uh, yeah, I think, and especially for men, boys, whatever, it's like, they tend to be like more explorers in that way yeah. and thinking about like, oh, like my grandfather, my great grandfather, like maybe he had this job and, you know, like mm -hmm. I can appreciate the affinity for it and like the curiosity behind it, but it is real, real dumb. Yeah, it's crazy. Like modern mining, like the one we went in a couple of years ago. Is it the sunshine mine? The lucky I, I, mine? 
something like that. I think the Sunshine Mine is the one that collapsed. It had a really big tragedy. So I think we went into the Lucky Mine. Okay. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember uh, the the name, but I but I just remember like you know they have like elevators, rudimentary ones. Yeah, but still, they're and like, wild. And like electricity and equipment, so you know it is very different. I, I was thinking like a hundred years ago, how crazy it would be to be one of these wild, you know, Western America miners. And I guess going back before that in ancient times where you're just going to these little tunnels yeah. that you're just digging slowly, sometimes even like if it's a smaller mine by hand in parts and uh, it's just so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I think like there was just another accident recently at the Kellogg mine. Oh, you know, it's, it's a like a dangerous my, profession still. Exactly. I don't think it will ever stop being dangerous. No. You know, it's just the nature of it. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder how it pays. Like oftentimes- There's unions I know. So I think it has decent benefits and stuff. Like I think most of mine are union miners. I, I'm, I'm curious. Totally I don't know. I'll have, sure. oh shoot, I'll have to look because it's like, you know, if you're a lineman, that's also a very dangerous job. But I also yeah. know that you're compensated quite well for it. Not that one negates the other, but, sure, you sure. know. Uh, okay. Also, like the entity that he encountered, what a horrific loop to be stuck in if you are oh that God. deceased miner. Yeah. There's like, uh, if you're, yeah, the, if the loop that you're stuck in is shortly after you were blown up. Ugh. Like missing body parts, your skin has been obliterated. Yeah. Oof. That's a bad echo. I wonder if you can feel the pain con consistently. Uh, I hope not. Uh, I hope not too. I have some photos. Okay, you start showing your photos. I have to bend over and pick up my pen. Okay, this first one, old photo of Gold Hill, Nevada from 1875. A true boom town. And then uh, here, this next pic is a, a pic of the above ground portion of the Yellow Jacket Mine taken at some point in the late 19th century. Man. And then this next one, a photo of some smoke coming out of the Yellow Jacket Mine uh, during that fire of 1869, I assume. Didn't say for sure on the photo, but... <laughs> I just want I you to know, like, my eyes couldn't quite uh, differentiate, differentiate one person to the next. Mm -hmm. So the one guy standing with, like, well, they all have their backs to us. Uh, but there's, like, one guy sort of with a white oh, yeah. sleeve, like, kind of facing us. But I couldn't see like his a, face like against the other a much person. much shorter guy, yeah. And I was like... What is that huge tail thing coming off that big tall guy? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, one more. This is the Yellow Jacket Mine today. Uh, hotel Saloon, the miner's cabin where Alex stayed that night. There Cute. on the left. Um, yeah. I, I couldn't find a good picture of the interior of the mine. Uh, there, there were some, but they were so grainy. Sure. That it didn't, it could be anything. Do you yeah. want to talk about when we went to Virginia City? I know that was fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Our yeah. kids loved that trip. Yep. I still have like super cute photos of Kyler in the like jail cell wearing, uh, I can't remember if it was like a cutout where you just put your face in of him as a police officer, like uh -huh. a jailer, or if he actually got to don the uniform. But man, they really yeah. loved that little Western town. Yeah. We watched some fake shootouts, some like uh -huh. little like Western theater show. It, it was a cute uh, little town. And I just remember the geography of the mountains are like the mountainside is so steep mm -hmm. and it's like this mining town just carved into the hill. Yeah. But like the little main street is just like along this steep slope where, um, yeah, they like carved out enough plots to build like, you know, general stores and that kind of stuff. But it was also just like a weird place for a town to exist. Like outside of a mine, there's no way that anyone would have ever tried to build a town there. Yeah. It's too rugged. Yeah. It was, it was really fascinating. I'd never... You know, being from the Midwest, that was something that I never yeah. saw out West. Uh, and so it was really fun. Yeah, it's cool. Excuse me to see that. Uh, I also wrote down Black Hills Gold, but I guess you were saying Gold Hill. I yes, got gold really Hill. excited because your mom over the years has handed down some Black Hills Gold jewelry to Monroe yeah. and I. And I was like, oh, 
Oh, not the same. That comes from North Dakota. Oh, it does? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that another mine? That's where the Black Hills are. No, it's just a geographical area. Oh, well then, all that for nothing. (laughs) I was like, oh, your mom's going to be so happy. Maybe she'll listen to an episode. Nope. Nope. She is too scared. Uh, You ready to leave Gold Hill and head down to Georgia? By the way, I would be happy to live in a place called Gold Hill. It's cool. It's a cool name. Feels so fancy. I don't think you'd like this town, but it's a cool name. (laughs) Before we move on to my final scares for 2023. Holy cow. Unless you are a patron. uh, Time to take a quick in-between story sponsor break. What is the most basic gift you have ever given the moms in your life for Mother's Day? Flowers? A candle? Some random knickknack you picked up at the last minute because you completely spaced Mother's Day? I have definitely made the mistake of procrastinating gifts for Mother's Day. And then, like the Friday before, I run to whatever store is open and convince myself that, yes, yes, my mom does need another coffee mug that declares she's the world's (laughs) best. So lame. This year, how about one-upping yourself by giving the moms in your life an Aura picture frame? Named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to any mom at any age. Aura frames connect easily to Wi-Fi and have unlimited storage so you can share as many pictures as you want. This year, as many of you know, I am on a spending freeze, but one of my carve-outs was meaningful gifts for the people I love. I don't want to give all of the moms in our lives something that won't bring them joy. We are giving Aura frames to the moms in our world because they are timeless, heartwarming gifts. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code SCARED at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. 
I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks for listening to those sponsor deals, creeps and peepers. A bit of backstory on this one before I jump into the poltergeist claims. The town of Surrency, Georgia, founded in 1911, has been shrouded in mystery for over a century. One commonly reported phenomena is the Surrency Ghost Light, often seen on a stretch of the Macon-Brunswick Railway that runs through town. One witness described it as a very bright, golden-yellow light about the size and shape of a grapefruit. When he tried to approach, he said the light moved closer before blinking out, then reappearing behind him a moment later. Others say the light bobs up and down, almost like someone walking with a lantern. It is believed that this light may be connected to the infamous Surrency family poltergeist. The town is named after Alan Powell Surrency, known as AP, the family patriarch in the mid to late 19th century. Before it was a town, Surrency was an unincorporated farming community. The Surrency family owned and lived in a large home near the railroad tracks on the outskirts of this community where they raised eight children. According to the website of writer, photographer, and AP Surrency descendant, Connor J. Surrency, The family originally came from France. As Protestants during the French Wars of Religion, a 16th century conflict between Catholics and Protestants, the family lived in a hostile religious environment and were eventually exiled from their village by the end of the 17th century. Family patriarch Florence de Sorency and his family moved to the colonies. Seventy years later, his grandson Jacob de Sorency fought in the American Revolution War, Revolutionary War. Near the end of the war, he and his family moved south to Georgia. Seizing an opportunity during all the chaos and violence, the family decided to forcefully take an estate owned by some loyalist planters. They violently seized the property and proceeded to immediately prosper off the new land. They soon would also own a general store, some lumber mills, and later would invest in the emerging railroad industry. Their fortunes would then experience a significant decline after being on the wrong side of the American Civil War and the economic depression that followed. According to Connor Surrency, AP was unrepentant and destitute following the war. AP would work not as a wealthy investor now, but as a sawmill operator during the final years of his life. And the family probably would have faded into history had they not been thrust somewhat into the local spotlight after the war when AP sent a letter to the Savannah Morning News describing supernatural occurrences in his home. Cernsey wrote that after returning home from some traveling in October of 1872, he was welcomed back by paranormal activity some of which included exploding mirrors, buzzing noises, and disembodied voices that screamed, laughed, and cried. Some speculate that the haunting was the result of Surrency making a deal with the devil in an attempt to return to his previous pre-war level of affluence. Whatever the reason, the poltergeist activity that occurred in his home would end up being long-lasting and well-documented. Hundreds of people, even some from overseas, would witness supernatural events, events inside his house. Time now for the tale of the Surrency family poltergeist. On October 26, 1872, the Union and Recorder of Milledgeville, Georgia, published a brief paragraph about strange and supernatural manifestations at House Number 6 along the Macon and Brunswick Railroad. They sent out a special reporter, Peter Leidenstruth, 
to the House to gather information, and he arrived on October 27th. A.P. Cerency allowed Leidenstruth and two other reporters named Mason and Campbell into his home to document poltergeist activity. Lindenstruth would report, Mr. Cerency is a gentleman well-to-do in the world and universally regarded as one of the most honorable citizens of the county. It would seem that his house would be the last one Ghost would select in which to play mischief. The four men were sitting in a room together when Lindenstruth said he noticed that the fire was dying out, so he went to the woodpile to get more fuel. When he returned, he heard a heavy thud in another room, like something heavy had fallen over. He initially assumed it was one of the other family members and didn't think much of it, but he would later come to consider this what he termed the first brick thrown by the spirits. Following this, Mr. Cerency returned to the room to tell the reporters how his family had been recently terrorized. He said that on the previous Friday, just before dark, he and his family were frightened by sticks of wood flying into their house and falling about the floor from directions they could tell nothing about, and without any human agency they could see or find out. This occurred in the front room, where all the doors and windows were shut tight. The wood stopped falling after dark, but then pieces of brick began falling through the air in every room of the house, and that lasted the entire night. Mr. Cerency, his wife, two daughters, his clerk, Mr. Roberts, and a Baptist minister named Blitch were all present to see it. The minister left during the night, but the rest of them stayed awake. Miraculously, none of them were hit by flying chunks of brick. Soon, bottles, vases, and glassware also began falling and breaking, all with no human interference. Cerency ordered one of his servants to take four bottles of kerosene oil out to the yard out of fear that they might spill, and the house would then go up in flames. The Union and Recorder article about all this states, No sooner than he set them down when one flew back, fell in the middle of the room, scattering oil in every direction. The whole, the whole family saw this. It seemed to come down from the ceiling overhead, and indeed everything else falling did so perpendicular. That is to say, came down from above. Activity like this continued almost constantly until Saturday morning, leaving the house with almost no crockery or glassware and wooden bricks scattered everywhere. Several neighbors came over that day to see the spectacle for themselves. They watched the family to look for any signs of trickery, but the objects on the shelves fell so fast their eyes couldn't keep up. One second, all was still. The next, they saw a broken glass on the floor. Chairs, shoes, and clothing were thrown around and even out of the house by unseen hands. Pieces of clothing were witnessed being supernaturally removed from a locked drawer. Everything settled down again at 8.30 that evening. After Mr. Sorensen finished relaying everything that had happened up to this point, he came to the family clock and talked about how the hands had moved rapidly and unnaturally the day before. The paper reported, All eyes were turned to it, and much to their astonishment, the hands commenced running around at a rate of about five hours a minute. It was a 30-hour wait clock, and after seeing it run at this rate for a short time, while our reporter, who was a watchmaker by profession, determined to at least solve this mystery as it was directly in his line. Lindenstruth stopped the clock and examined the insides, finding that the machine was in perfect working order. Its gears did not appear to have been tampered with, nothing pointed towards human trickery. The reporter speculated that perhaps there was a large magnet under the house that was a source of all this strange movement, but then it was noted that magnets do not, of course, attract wood, so that explanation was insufficient. Lindenstruth also noted that while the large clock was affected by some strange energy in the house, his small pocket watch was not. The next unusual event occurred at 11.42 a.m., Sunday the 27th. A pair of scissors was seen leaping from the table to the floor, and a large, whole brick 
fell right beside Lindenstruth, who was sitting in a chair and it broke into two pieces. He picked up one of the pieces, felt that it was hot to the touch. Lindenstruth tried to break the brick further by throwing it on the floor, but was unsuccessful. He put one half of the brick on the windowsill, intending to bring it home with him as a souvenir. But as soon as he sat down, he was startled when he found the piece he had just placed by the window, now at his feet, broken into pieces. At noon, a hot iron was witnessed, jumping from the fireplace into the room. At lunchtime, the family had the guests gather and sit at the dining room table. Once they were all seated, an ear of corn appeared from the ceiling and fell between Mrs. Surrency and her guest, James Campbell. It hit the floor with so much force that the grain scattered everywhere. Later that day, a second ear of corn hit a visitor while she was holding a baby in her arms. Then, in a much more dangerous incident, several visitors were standing near the front room when a chamber glass fell in front of them and smashed into about 50 pieces. The Union and Recorder reported this same day that word was spreading quickly about the poltergeist activity. The Macon and Brunswick Railroad had dispatched an extra train that day due to increased demand, bringing 75 more people to the house. An estimated three to 400 people passed through the house that day, and many reportedly witnessed impossible-to-explain events. Throughout the day, various knives, pots, skillets, and crockery were seen flying about the kitchen. Piles of sugar were found on the floors of the house, some of them containing pins and a steel pen. Lyndon's truth noted that A.P. Surrency was greatly annoyed and disgusted with all the spirit activity, and that he even refused money from people who wanted to pay him for meals eaten in his home. He just wanted it all to be done with, to no longer be tormented. He was weary from the downward spiral he'd found himself in that began with the Confederate defeat in the war. This reporting implies that he might have reached out to journalists for help, rather than for attention or any kind of financial gain. The three reporters were unable to come up with any kind of solution for his troubles, and the paranormal activity would continue for the remainder of his family's time in the house. According to the book, Mysterious Georgia, by Sherman Carmichael, for the remainder of the family stays the family stay in this house, whenever the Surrencies ate at their table, food would often be thrown into their laps or across the room. Eating utensils would be bent or twisted in their hands. Life became unbearable in the home. In one incident, two of the Surrency boys were talking to a minister in the parlor when a fiery log flew out of the fireplace and across the room, causing the minister to leave frightened. Other strange occurrences included seeing red eyes around the property late at night suggesting the presence of some malevolent demonic entity, hot bricks falling from the sky, a pair of boots walking across the floor on their own, and hogs and chickens suddenly appearing in the living room as if they'd teleported there. The spirit or spirits tormenting the family then became more frightening and dangerous than ever, tormenting the youngest daughter Clementine by lifting her out of bed at night, flipping her bed over, throwing her into the, down into the floor, and pulling her hair. That was the final straw for the Surrencies. Their home was now far from safe, and to stay meant to risk death. They decided to move out of the house, but were subjected to more torment and attacks before being able to do so. A fireplace poker was lifted up out of its resting place, floated down the hall, and beat one of the boys about his head several times while his brother looked on helplessly. He soon lay on the floor, bleeding and semi-conscious, while the poker floated back to its original place. The family tried to get help from their local church, Scientists, mediums, psychics, no one could explain or get rid of the terrifying poltergeist activity in the house. A.P. Cernsey would die in 1877, five years after reporters first visited his family home to witness the activity. By the time of his death, the family had vacated the haunted house 
which sat abandoned for decades until it finally burned down in 1925 in a fire whose cause was unknown. The case remains unsolved well over a century later, and the Cerency family haunting remains one of the most documented hauntings in American history. With no home to possess, perhaps the poltergeist now manifests its energy into the still-seen Cerency ghost light. Ay ay ay. Well, what do you think? Who knows? Uh, strange. Who knows if that light is connected to that old haunting in any way? Uh, okay. First of all, that that name Blitch, uh, that's not a name we can have. That is terrible. You poor person. Pastor Blitch. Oh boy. Just think Wha- of the things the kids oh would say. Uh-huh. Uh okay, just wanted to uh call that out. Okay, this large this potential large magnet under the house. Uh, what am I missing? Oh, they were trying to come up with reasons like wh- why the clock gears would... Um, why would there be a large magnet under the house? Somebody trying to con them. Oh, okay. Because I was like, is there? am I missing something? Were they putting large magnets under houses for yeah, reasons no. I don't understand? No. And e- even if there was some weird industrial right. massive magnets... Like why? Okay. I don't... Then... The, I mean, just the way that magnets operate, they're... Uh, it's a constant presence like, yeah. or a constant pull. Like yeah. whatever, whatever their magnetic pull is, it doesn't like uh, vacillate, vary. Yeah. vary. So it's like if it was causing the clock uh, gears to move faster, they would move faster all the time. Yeah. And I just thought that was such a weird uh, possibility thrown out there. Yeah. Like maybe there's a magnet under your house. I'm like, uh, <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, okay. Next, uh, the ears of corn. That yeah. is like the comic relief in the whole story. I know. I know. It's such a random thing to come down from the ceiling. Yeah. There's um, bricks. There's breaking glass. There's, I love corn. So like, corn. you know, fine. Um, the fire though. Okay. So the final fire that wipes out the house in 1925. Uh, it's like, yeah, that to me seems like the most logical ending to it because there were constantly mm-hmm. near misses with fire. Yeah, like, yeah. And I don't know if that was the poltergeist playing on the family's fear of the house burning down or someone within the family having a fear of fire they were unaware of, but like why the poltergeist burnt it down. And, and it did burn it down years after it was vacant. Right, but still. But still, yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows? Just like feeding into what it knew. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. And they stayed there for five years. That's insane. Yeah, they stayed there. They stayed there for under five years because he died five years after the first uh, newspaper report. Okay, and and they there's no record of exactly when they moved out got prior it. to him dying, but it's believed that the family left the house prior to his death. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. So they stayed there for a while, but we don't have the records to know exactly how long it was. I am proud of them for GTFOing. And at that yeah. time, I think like even more difficult. Just yeah, and they and they were having tough financial, uh, you know, times. They, they had been affluent before, but yeah. weren't doing that well at the end. So it wouldn't have been easy. Yeah. Do you have pictures? I do. I do. There's okay, there's only one picture uh, that I can find of the Cernsey family in their supposedly haunted house online. It's very grainy, but that's as, oh, very grainy. That's as good as we get. Okay. And then uh, I, I wanted to pretend that the Cernsey house looked like this next house here. This. Excuse me. This okay. is the Harville House in Statesboro, an old Georgia manor. That house is terrifying. I know. It's such a like, it looks like such a classic haunted house. It's been abandoned for decades. It was first built in 1894, expanded into that form in 1904 after the owner had a dream that he needed to build it to look like that. So there's like a weird story there. Okay. And then it has been uh, abandoned since 1976, still owned by the Harville family. I've never seen so many columns on a porch. I know. It's like, right. what it's like is- a porch on a porch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I have to wonder if when it was first 
built, like when they put that second set of columns, I guess second and third set. Yeah. It's like, you can see like the the thinnest one closest back to the house and then you can see two more further out in front of the house. Yeah. That must have been part of his weird addition or something or like some sought, sort of addition. a dream. Yeah. It's like needed more support to keep his dream alive. Yeah. Yeah. Supposedly it, haunted. You know what? I, I mean, I, I didn't find any reports that it is actually haunted, um, but it sure looks like a, a classic haunted house. Like, Well, if it's not haunted, the people who own it should be doing a haunted house in there. I know. I know. It is. That is uncanny how perfect it is. Mm-hmm. It'd be like in some horror movie when it's, you know, like, is there somebody still living there? Yeah. Like, you know, out outside of town and it'd have this crazy backstory with Dream and, yeah. Could just have, like, squatters in it. Like, there mm-hmm. could be so many options. It just feels like something out of a movie. Yep, yep. That is, and also that photograph is really great. Yeah, it's a good photo. So, you know, who knows if in real life it even looks like that. Yeah. Okay, are you ready to settle in for three great stories to wrap up 2023? I am. Can't believe it. End I know. of the year. So strange. All right. So let's begin with this tale that comes from an anonymous veteran about what he saw while he was deployed. Do you have a Layla over there? Uh, I do. I got the same one. Okay, great. Great, great, great. Hello, Triple M, you mushmouth motherfucker. <laughs> and Lindsay, the best one of the Cumminses. Thank oh, you. That's man. it. We could just like stop right there. This is a great story. <laughs> This is a story from a loyal fan, a space lizard and lurker. Mm-hmm. I have you. a story that still staunts, that still haunts me over a decade later. I spent 16 years in the military and wow. was deployed to various parts of the world. When I was in Iraq, I saw something that solidified my beliefs that I had had since I was a child. As a kid, my dad had told me the stories of the Norse gods and I held and I had held that as my religion despite all of my friends being of various Christian faiths. To set the scene, I was at a small combat outpost on the border with Syria. This place was small. I mean, small. No bigger than a football field with a three-foot berm around it covered in razor wire and claymore mines. Our sleeping quarters were bunkers dug down and shored up with ammunition crates filled with dirt and then covered with sandbags. We were under regular attack there. Usually, we would get hit with rockets or mortars and some small arms fighting would occur every now and then. It had been an uneventful few days, and so we knew we were due for another attack. And that's when a massive dust storm came rolling in. It practically blocked out the sun, casting a sepia-colored eeriness over the landscape. And then the attack began. With the dust storm, we were in the black, meaning there wouldn't be air support, artillery, or anything else. We were on our own out there, and there were less than a hundred of us. The fighting began in earnest. First, a few mortars began to fall, and then it was as though hell had opened. Rockets and more mortars rained down on us as human waves began rushing our perimeter. Initially, we held them off, but things went from bad to worse and quickly. A rocket hit the fuel dump, and then another hit the ammunition dump. Flames and exploding ordnance climbed into the sky and rained down alongside the enemy's mortars and rockets. The ammunition we had with us was all there was, and it was going quickly. Things grew dire, and we began to fight hand-to-hand combat with knives and shovels. Most of us decided to pick up enemy weapons to continue fighting. The fighting had been nonstop when the second night fell. We were exhausted. I had been hit a bunch of times with shrapnel from a rocket and was beginning to feel it as the adrenaline from the last two days was wearing off. I was lying against the perimeter berm next to a friend of mine who is Hispanic and a devout Catholic, waiting for the next round of fighting. 
He was openly weeping, praying the rosary, while staring out over the berm. My blood ran cold, and I felt like I couldn't breathe suddenly. The night air became frigid, even though just moments before, it had been oppressively hot. I inched my way to see what he was looking at, expecting enemy soldiers to bear down on us, but everything was calm, like someone had suddenly hit the mute button. I couldn't hear anything. Not even my ears were ringing like they had been just seconds ago. And that's when I saw them. What he had been looking at were beautiful women. They were wearing long dresses and ancient armor, carrying swords and spears. They shimmered in the pitch black night. And they were doing something odd, yes, more odd than being beautiful women wearing battle armor. The ladies were gliding from body to body, grabbing the corpses by their hair, pulling them back to reveal their faces. And I realized I knew what was happening. They were there looking at each corpse to decide who was worthy of going with them to the afterlife. A few flashes of very bright light when they checked a body and then released the hair to let the head hit the ground was all the proof I needed that they were that they were Valkyries, choosing warriors to go to the great hall where Odin feasted. They moved closer and closer to our position, searching each body until one of the women was practically within touching range. She looked at me and she smiled. I felt a deep feeling of love, calm, and safety in her presence and a desire to get up and follow her wherever she decided to go, which was weird when you're fighting for your life and covered in blood and super into not being dead. I snapped out of it when the crack of automatic gunfire began again and the fighting continued. The next day, the dust stormed cleared and helicopters came in with troops to relieve us and treat the wounded. We were a mess. This was uh, this would not be the last time I would see the woman. I saw her again when me and my Catholic friend were again in a vehicle going down a major highway as part of a convoy. She was standing at the side of the road looking at us when an IED was set off right in front of our truck. I was sure she was there for us. If the roadside bomb had hit its mark, maybe we would have gone with her. I was later rotated back stateside and medically discharged from the army. I still think about her, and I hope I see her when my time comes, but for now, I can wait. Corporal A, U.S. Army, retired. That's, uh, I think, the first story we've had on this show uh, of somebody viewing like the paranormal from like the lens of like Norse mythology. Yes, uh, that, I love that. Mm-hmm, me too, because you know, like <clears throat> when people like you know see things through uh, Islamic lens. I'm trying to think of like the name of like their demons, the jinn, the jinn, right? Right, like like which not even really like a demon, but like it's a entity. Some jinns can be like similar. They're mischievous, right? Yeah. They can be good. They can be bad. Right. Generally, what we hear about of them here is that they're naughty and right. tricking, tricker, full of trickery. Yeah, yeah, and so like you know, people will see like that. And then people, you know, from a, a Judeo-Christian kind of thing, will see more of like what I think we're used to mm-hmm. here in the West of like the shadowy figures, the demonic possession and stuff. Uh-huh. And then that's the first one, like the Valkyries. I know. I was like, oh my gosh, what a cool way to view the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he, he's not afraid. Mm-mm. You know? I mean, I would be, And I like it in complete juxtaposition of his very devout Catholic Hispanic friend. Yeah, Like yeah, you yeah. could not, I'm just going to assume that this guy is like white, let's just say. So you couldn't, like this like right. white guy who went against Judeo-Christian beliefs despite like his peer group being that. So he believes in the Norse gods and then you cannot have like, um, I mean, traditionally the Hispanic culture is incredibly Catholic. So yeah. you, these people at opposite ends of the spectrum and his Hispanic friend is like losing his shit. Like I don't know what he sees when he, I'm yeah. sorry, I don't know what he thinks of it when he sees these women. 
right? right? But like our guy, he's like, mm, Valkyries, no worries. And did he make it clear that the other guy did see those women? He said he saw what that guy was looking at. He thought what the guy was looking at. But I wonder if they confirmed, like, did you just see those ladies? You know, he doesn't share any right. details of a conversation that he may have had with his cohort, but I'm assuming. Because I was thinking like, how interesting it would be if that guy sees something in that same space, but through the lens of his belief system mm-hmm. and sees like shadowy figures and not women. It's like, yeah. is there something where like there's these things out there and they present themselves in ways that match our belief systems? I mean, that would line up with like, what would we say that like, we believe that generally how you're scared or like certain entities will capitalize on what you're afraid of. Mm-hmm. So if they can do that, then why can't, Yeah, you know, like what I'm afraid of is this, but what you're afraid of is that. So why couldn't that apply to this? And just the power of the human mind. Sometimes I like to think of like uh, the paranormal in a different way with this. And let's take like ghosts out of the equation. And can we just imagine things Mm. so powerfully that we literally see them? Like we see them out there in the distance, like an actual figure doing things. And can we imagine things so powerfully that not only we see them, but other people see them? Like the power of suggestion? Not even like the power of uh, suggestion because you wouldn't have suggested it. Those situations where you see something like, hey, you just see something. Mm -hmm. And then that person tells you, uh, describes to you what you actually just saw without you ever saying something to them. Like, can you, uh, it's like a different type of paranormal power where you could like like, telepathic almost like project something out there that can be seen by others. I don't know. Like how powerful is the human mind? But I do think that is partially power of suggestion. Because if I say to you, hey, did you see that? Now you're looking for something and you, and you, you're your mind automatically thinks like, I should be seeing something. What are they saying? Right. But so that just that like that, just that mm-hmm. opening could just take you there. But then if the person that you said, hey, hey, do you see something? Yeah. And then they describe a very specific entity. Sure. That's like something else. Yeah. You know, like, like that they're, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I just do wonder like with the poltergeist activity, how that's usually connected. Like they had eight kids in that story to like adolescent kind of energy can, you know, like a certain type of energy make things fly off shelves, like telekinesis types types. I don't know. There's just something interesting going on that might be have nothing to do with spirits in some of these stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Okay, you ready to move on? Yes. Okay, so now this guy tells us a story about a, a spirit he's been seeing his whole life. And it's so bizarre. Hello. I'm a truck driver, and after finding your podcast, I listened to every episode from beginning until end until I caught up. And the two of you make this podcast one of my favorites to listen to while I drive at night. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. My story concerns a woman I've seen ever since I was a child. She appears to be in her early to mid-20s with long brown hair and blue eyes. She only ever appears in the daytime and during the spring or summer and always wears a light summery dress. The first time I saw her, I was four years old. I was riding to the store with my older sister, and at a red light, I saw the woman standing on the corner. She looked right at me and smiled. It was, a, it was a sad smile, though. I told my sister that the woman looked sad, but my sister said she couldn't see anyone. That made no sense to me because she was standing right there. I figured she was just messing with me like older siblings tend to do, but I've been seeing the woman regularly ever since. It didn't take long, though, for me to realize that no one else was seeing her. I tried many times to catch up to her. I wanted to ask her who and what she was. I almost caused a couple of wrecks trying to accomplish this, but I could never make it happen no matter how I tried. She always just disappeared. I thought I had been hallucinating or maybe was losing my mind until one day someone else finally saw her. 
A friend of mine needed a ride to the bank. Not a big deal. She brought her three-year-old along with her, and while my friend was inside the bank, the little one and I sat on the hood of my car, drinking juice boxes, Mm -hmm. chatting about all of the important things that concern a toddler. Across the street, I saw the woman. She was still smiling her sad smile, but for the first time, she waved at me. My friend's daughter waved at something and giggled. Trying not to lead her to the answer I wanted, I asked her who she was waving at if she saw someone. The toddler said she could see a woman and that she wanted a dress with flowers on it like the lady had on. And just then, my friend came out of the bank and distracted me. I looked away for a split second, but the lady was gone. The toddler is a college student now and has no memory of the woman, though she still loves summer dresses with a flower print on them. I'm 53 now, and not a spring or summer has passed that I haven't seen her somewhere. When I was younger and in school, I saw her through windows. Sometimes when I've gone under bridges, she shows up on the bridge. And as a truck driver, I've seen her along the highways of every state I've driven a truck through. I've made myself look like a lunatic a couple of times by calling out to her from across the road. She's never answered me, of course, but I'm dying to know what the story is and what's behind that sad smile. She's never given off a malevolent vibe, but she's also never given off a beneficial vibe either. She's just there. I wish there was more to share about my spectral visitor, but there isn't much more to tell. As I've grown older and more gray, she has stayed the same age. And at this point, I believe I would grieve her loss if she ever stopped appearing to me. Maybe one day when my time here comes to an end, she'll meet me on the other side of the veil and the mystery will be Mm -hmm. solved. Lee. Thanks, Lee. This randomly appearing uh, person just kind of there made me think of the movie we just saw, the Nick Cage movie. The, oh yeah, yeah, yeah! Dream sequence. Yeah, dream sequence. Um, so good, by the way. It's just random. So random. It's a comedy horror movie, and yeah, we just took a the chance. horror. I think the horror is very low. Yeah, it's it's not the scariest, but I mean, definitely like creepy for sure in moments. And the concept, the concept is scary. Yeah. Of like, oh my god, if this happened to you, how terrible! But it is. I, I don't want to like spoil it, but it's just this. It, it's a movie where Nick Cage is just like his character just keeps showing up in people's dreams. And initially, kind of like the lady in Lee's story, mm-hmm. is just there. And yeah. it's like, not bad, not good. Just there. Just there. And he's like trying to figure out, why Why don't I do anything? Why am I just there watching? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, something like a, attached to her yeah. that just like follows her around the country in the story. Him. him. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, follows him around the country in the story. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, a pretty odd, but he doesn't seem bothered by it in any capacity. Like more just like curious, like why? What does she want? Who is she? Why uh-huh. is she sad? You know? Yeah. And how great to finally have some sort of uh, confirmation. Even if no one else ever sees her ever again, his friend's kid did see her. And to yeah. me, that's like all I would need for the rest of my life is like, I am not crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. not just in my head. Right. Yep. Yep. That's yep. another good story. Mm-hmm. Okay. One One more. The last one. Okay. Unless, you know, you're listening to bonus episodes, but... uh. Okay, a very strange haunted hotel room. Hello, Dan and Lindsay. From the, from the first episode, I knew I had to eventually send in my story. I do not often tell this story as I get the, are you crazy, looks, but here goes nothing. Mm-hmm. During my junior year at Washington State University, I was accepted into an equine internship program in upstate New York that would take place over the summer. I live in Northwest Washington, but I knew with all the stuff I would want to bring with me, as well as wanting easy transportation while in New York, that I would want to drive there. This was a very long drive. Without mm-hmm. stops, it would clock in at about 46 hours. Oh my God. So I knew I would want to stop a few times along the way for rest. 
Specifically, I stopped in Bozeman, Montana, St. Cloud, Minnesota, Chicago, Illinois, and Watertown, New York. This particular story takes place at my stop in Chicago. The drive from St. Cloud to Chicago was about 10 hours with traffic. I arrived at my hotel in the older part of Chicago around 7 p.m. I pulled up to what looked like a pretty normal hotel, got out of the car, grabbed my small backpack of hotel necessities, and made my way into the lobby. The lobby itself was pretty dim and a bit outdated. Overall, it didn't look much different than any other mid-tier hotel lobby. What was different was that it had a very eerie feeling to it. I was the only person in the lobby, and come to think of it, I don't think I saw or heard any other guests inside the hotel during the duration of my stay. Anyways, I walked to the check-in area. No one was attending the desk. They had a bell with a small handwritten sign to ring for service. I rang the bell, and after what felt like a few minutes, out walked a shaggy-looking man. This man looked at me for a bit too long, not saying anything. He pulled up his computer, began typing, and continued not to say a word to me. (laughs) Finally, checking in, he said. I told him yes, gave him my name, my ID, and credit card. The whole exchange just left me feeling a bit unsettled, but I figured he was just a weird guy. Maybe he'd had a long day. After getting checked in, he handed me my room card and walked back into the room that he came from. I looked down at the paper envelope that he that held the card, and the room number was written on the back, room 13. Now, I know what you're thinking because I had the same thought. I didn't even know that hotels had room 13s anymore. But again, I brushed this off, thinking that maybe that was just hospitals, or maybe the lack of room 13s was a myth altogether, and that I must be nervous since the entry to the hotel itself had made me feel flustered. I made my way to my room, and the room had a similar look to the lobby, a bit run down. The bedding was definitely purchased in the 90s, and the red quilted bedspread smelled a bit like my great-grandmother's house. I did my typical check of the room, check for bed bugs, under the bed, the closet, cleanliness, and cameras. I saw a documentary once about hotels and Airbnbs having (laughs) small cameras hidden, so I always like to make sure. I then locked the main lock as well as the bolt-style lock. I checked the windows, as sometimes there are windows that can fully open, so I wanted to make sure that if this was the case, those were locked too. The large window with the awful green and red curtains that looked like they hadn't been washed or even dusted in the last six months were large, dingy, single-paned glass. No openings, but also no locks. While looking, I noticed I had conveniently parked my car directly outside my room. The next day's drive was going to be a long one, 12 hours. I knew I wanted to leave by 6 to give myself extra time in case I hit traffic. I decided it was as good of a time as any to settle in for the night. I changed into my pajamas, set out clothes for the next day, and sank into the musty yet comfy bed. I turned on the TV and watched one of my comfort shows, which happened to be on, for about an hour before drifting off to sleep. Around 1 a.m., I awoke to yelling and bright lights, both coming from the television. The channel that I had previously been watching was now showing some sort of late-night recording of a sermon. They were reciting a Bible verse, and I turned it off before I could comprehend what they were saying. I sank back into the mattress, closing my eyes once again. Before completely falling asleep, I was jolted back awake by the feeling of falling, something that I'm sure many others have felt before. I laid there for a minute before I was overcome with a feeling of dread. I've never felt like this before, but I am someone diagnosed with anxiety, and that combined with the creepy hotel, the lack of sleep, and the anticipation of having to meet all these new people at my internship, I just brushed it off. I decided to get up, go to the bathroom just in case, and I left the bathroom light on. I climbed back into bed, closed my eyes, and once again was off to sleep. 
At 3 a.m., I was again jolted awake with a feeling of deep dread, and this time, a large dose of fear. I knew I would not be able to fall back asleep this time, nor would I want to. I figured I would just get ready to go, leave early, and be able to arrive at my next hotel a bit earlier the next evening. I got up, opened the main curtains to the window, and let what little streetlight there was into my room, since the lighting in the room was less than desirable. I left the second set of curtains, those typical sheer curtains, that could let in sun without a clear view of the person behind the curtain being exposed. I wanted to get a quick shower before I left, grabbed my toiletries, double-checked the pile of clothes I'd set out, and made my way to the shower. I tried to turn on the fan in the bathroom a couple of times, but to no avail. It appeared to be out of order. I had been in the shower for maybe five minutes and was just putting the conditioner in my hair when I was overcome by a hard feeling. It was such a hateful feeling. I felt sick to my stomach. I was washed over by a sensation of ice cold air and the hot water was no longer a warm, luxurious feeling, but instead was stinging and burning my skin. I thought maybe the fan had suddenly kicked on. So I peeked out of the shower to see if I had left the switch on, but I had not. I closed the curtain trying to brush this all off again due to lack of sleep. I rinsed out the conditioner, turned towards the water and began to wash my face. And then I felt ice-cold breathing on the back of my neck, and chills went up my spine. That was it. I wanted to hurry up and leave (laughs) fast as possible. I rinsed myself off one last time and opened the curtain, and I was just about to reach for the towel when I looked down and gasped. My entire body went cold. There they were, two very large, very distinct, wet footprints on the bath mat facing the shower. Was there someone in there? What was going on? I grabbed my towel and quickly climbed out the other side of the shower as to avoid the prints. I swiftly dried off. And then it hit me. Maybe those were just my prints. I mean, they look a little big, but maybe I had hopped out of the shower and I just didn't remember. I put my left foot on top of the left imprint. Chills again. This print was at least three inches larger than my women's size eight foot. I felt it again, a cold breath, this time behind my left ear. But this one stung, the feeling of fiberglass. I was done. I threw on my dirty pajamas, scooped up all my things, not even sweeping the room to ensure I had everything. I left the key in the room, not letting them know I had checked out, and even left on a couple lights and ran straight to my car. I needed to take a breath and gather myself before I hit the road. What the hell had just happened? I put in directions to my next location, adding a stop at the nearest rest area so I'd be able to finally change my clothes. I looked up, took a deep breath, and letting out a much-needed sigh. I stared at the hotel window in front of me. The sheer curtain lightly exposed the dimly lit room I was looking at. I saw someone inside a room walking around. It was only 3.30. I remember thinking to myself, that was pretty early for other people to be awake. I looked back up and the dark figure was of someone standing behind the curtains. It was almost as if they were looking at me. Why were they looking at me? I really couldn't see much except their generally large stature. And then it dawned on me. I was looking at the room I had been staying in. (laughs) There is no way that that was the hotel clerk. How could they have even known I'd left? Even if they had seen me go to my car, it's not like they could be sure I wasn't coming back. And the housekeepers didn't work at this time. It couldn't be them. I looked at my room and it was still there. I could feel it staring at me. I felt like I was in a trance, afraid to take my eyes off of it. I slowly turned on my car, backed out of the spot, still not breaking my gaze. I turned my car around and drove to the hotel exit. I looked in my rearview mirror, and it was gone. I drove off, and I never looked back. I saw on my phone that there had been a big pileup on the highway about 30 minutes ago, around 25 miles from my final hotel. Multiple fatalities. I thought to myself, oh, poor people. Good thing I left early. 
I could have been stuck in that traffic for a long time. No, I would have been through it already. It happened around 6.30 and I would have been there when the accident happened, so I wouldn't have gotten stuck in too much traffic. Actually, I would have been in that area exactly when the accident happened. I could have been in that accident. If it wouldn't have been for me leaving so early, I could have potentially been in that accident and even potentially had died. Was this a wild coincidence? Was whatever or whomever was in the hotel room all bad? There's no way it could have been good, right? Did it want me to leave early? To this day, I still get chills thinking about it. I have no idea what exactly happened in that room or why, but I feel lucky to have made it out of that room and off that road. Hugs and kisses, Creeper. Ooh, that, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of good ones. But um, yeah, that had some some good twists where uh, the the um, seeing like the the body in the in the room, like find yeah. out, oh wait, that was like my room. Yes. Was super creepy. Like that would scare the shit out of me. Oh my god. And, Especially after leaving the room, thinking that something fell to off. Mm-hmm. And then like that would be such a confirmation of like, oh, that thing was in the room with me. Ah. But then the the accident thing at the end of like, oh, maybe that thing was a good thing. And it was somebody trying to creep her out or something trying to creep her out to get her out of the hotel and get her on the road because they somehow knew that accident was going to occur. I know. So peculiar. Some guardian angel type entity. Spoopy angel. Spoopy. A creepy angel. Oh, my God. (laughs) A a spangel. A spangel. Yeah. I mean, hotels are inherently a bit odd and creepy. Like, Mm -hmm. no matter how nice it is, it's still like a strange thing to sleep in a bed that just the night before some yeah. other rando stranger was sleeping in, you know, like just uh, the concept of hotels is kind yeah. of, kind of odd. Uh, and then, you know, uh, I believe it was a young woman traveling by herself across the country. Like, yeah. Uh, I was thinking about Monroe, like as I was reading this, like, I don't love the idea. Even a college aged student, you know, 18, mm-hmm. 19, 20, I don't love the idea of either of our kids, but especially a female yeah. driving cross country for 46 hours, plus all those stops, having to check into these hotels. Like, there were just so many elements that I put myself and or our daughter in her shoes, and I was like, oh my God, she's right. You're already on edge. You're just feeling a little like, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, Yeah, worried about the front desk guy, mm -hmm. or just, yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. Worried about being on the road alone, worried about Mm -hmm. getting a flat tire, worried about running out of gas, like just all the things that, whatever, you worry about on, on long drives. Yeah. And then adding that paranormal element, Yep. Oh, she had to be so happy when she settled into her internship. Tra- traveling uh, so much over the years. Mm-hmm. I've definitely been on the other end of that where it's like, there'll be some young woman or whatever, like alone. Like maybe I check into my hotel late at night. Yeah. And like her and I are going up in the same elevator or whatever. Oh, yeah. And it's like, there's no point in saying anything. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm not a creep. You know, because th- that that's, just makes it worse. Yep. That makes it worse. That's what a creep would say. Yeah. Uh, but I can sense from them just like, oh, that would suck to be mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, quite a bit physically smaller mm-hmm. and just nervous. Like yeah. it just seemed like, huh, I don't like being in uh, an elevator alone with this dude. Yeah, late at night late in at a night. place I'm not familiar with. Yep. I don't like being alone in an elevator with a dude in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. It just, yeah. I, I don't. It, you're just trapped. Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, I don't care for it at all. Uh, before we move on, this is so random, but I had a a pretty good nightmare. I forgot to mention this morning oh. last night, like one that actually woke me up and freaked me out. Oh. I don't remember many details except for a creepy detail at the end. I was in our kitchen. Okay. And I was worried. Something was scurrying over by like uh, the, the breakfast table. Okay. And so it was like, but it was low towards the ground. Like, like I couldn't see it. You couldn't see the table or you couldn't uh, see the I could, scurry I could, thing? I could see the table. I couldn't see what was making the noise. Okay. 
And then it came around and I don't know I, I, if it was either a baby or a doll that looked like a baby, but with a monstrous little face. Oh, okay. I know why you had this dream. Carry on. Okay. And then it came at me, you know, like that, like, you know. Was uh, it crawling? Uh, I don't know. Like, I think it was walking on just two legs, but coming too quickly. Okay. And then I grabbed it in the dream and then threw it over back over the counter towards like the breakfast table. Yeah. And then I was like, ah, shit, I should have like smashed it or something because now I can hear it still moving. And then it comes back around even angrier and like moving unnaturally fast. Yeah. And zips towards me. And then right when it made it to me, I woke up. And then uh, I, I just remember being like, Ugh, like freaked out. And then rolled over in bed, made sure like my butt was basically covered up because it was exposed towards the closet. We have a that's, low bed. That's such a funny thing too about like yeah. you can't have any skin exposed. I don't uh -huh. know why, but yes. Yep. And then uh, Dee Dee was uh, sleeping oh, there Dee Dee. in the middle. So I grabbed, she was kind of already sharing my pillow, had her little head on my pillow. Seems right. So I just scooped her up and then I just spooned Dee Dee for a little bit. <laughs> it was like thankful. Usually I'm like annoyed because she's so hot. Yeah. But uh, yeah, glad that she was there. I bet the source of that is that we're watching The Leftovers and the opening oh sequence. Oh my gosh, the doll. Yeah, it's a doll factory. It's the opening sequence. And then like yep. that ties into this episode because if somebody goes to the store and buys a baby doll and then wraps it up and makes it baby Jesus in the manger for like the outdoor display. Yep, and then they and then they do some weird things with this doll, like trying yeah. to get rid of things, you know, mess with it. It was. It was the doll from that show. Yeah. That showed up in my dream. Yeah. Funny. Mm -hmm. Well. It hung on for dear life. Yeah, yeah. But Yee. creepy. creepy. Uh-huh. Funny. Yeah, you really don't generally have nightmares. Yeah, or if I do, I don't remember them. And normally, I hear you get up in the night. And I know you said last night you woke up and went to eat a bowl of cereal. But I woke up and you weren't there. And that just kind of freaked me out because mm -hmm. generally speaking, I'll at least like feel you, hear you, whatever. And I was like, oh, God, where is he? What time is it? And I was, I had taken my sleepy time gummy. So I was pretty far gone. Yeah. And I just, I don't know what time you went for. I think I got up around three or four in the morning. I was up for about half an hour. Okay. Uh, I just remember uh, I was too kind of in sleep to come find you or to call out to make sure you were okay. And I just was lying there. I was like, okay, I'm just going to wait five minutes. And if I don't hear him, because I couldn't hear the bathroom fan on. So I didn't think that you were in the restroom. Oh yeah. And I was like, I okay. cereal. But all my brain went to all these terrible places. Suddenly, I was like, oh, what if he had a heart attack? What if he's dead somewhere? I don't know like why I was having like strange yeah. thoughts like that. I was like, okay, I'll just lie here for five minutes. Even if he's dead, it won't matter. Because <laughs> he's dead. Like my brain was doing yeah, these yeah, yeah. crazy things. And then I guess I just fell back asleep. So <laughs> Not too worried. Well, you weren't screaming out in pain. So I guess yeah. you're fine. <laughs> do you want to do some shout outs or do you want me to go first? Oh, uh, you can go first. All right. Well, last ones of 2023. Uh, we'll, we'll talk some more about Patreon after we do these shout outs, but thank you so much for an amazing year of just supporting us uh, in all the ways that you do. Nathaniel McBee, Michael Perrault, Brianna Stetzer, Omar Desvergnaut. Wow, that is a challenging last name. Desvergnaut. Desvergnaut. Brandon Thornton, Al uh, Alyssa Kitch Kircher, Hot Mess Mom. You and me both, honey. You and me both. Uh, Andrea West, Chewy, and Mike G, and Jake and Stacey Hansen. And I would also like to thank some Annabelles. Uh, I'd like to thank the following ones. Our, the last of 2023, uh, Karen Schlecht, Sammy Vibes, Lucifina Strap-On. Well then. <laughs> Mermaid Munchies, Bailey Tolan, Elise, Jamie Weisend, or Weisnend, Tanner Gordon, Jason August and Alley Cat. Alley Cat. All right. And then the final spoopy shout outs of 2023 
to my peeper mom and amazing stepdad from your 10 a.m. moist teat, horrified peeper daughter. Happy anniversary. Uh, to Morgan and Anthony from Randa. Happy birthday. I miss you guys so much. Morgan, I can't say it was a pleasure to share the womb with you because you took all of my nutrients, but it's been a blast since we got out of there. <laughs> to Taylor from Jade, happy one-year anniversary. I'm so happy to have finally kissed enough frogs in my life to find my one and only here-to-stay man. Thanks for all the laughs and love. To Matt and Cece from your wife and mother, Angel, happy birthday to my loves. And to Vicky from Eric, happy birthday, mi vida. Mi vida. My life. Okay. Um, when you when you did the uh, taking all the nutrients, it made me think, and now I'm, I can't think of his name, but we covered him on Time Suck a few months ago. And we watched that docuseries Blackbird, I think, about him, the Civil oh. War reenactor, serial Hold killer on, guy. I can, I can see his face. I can hear his strange I'm voice. talking like this. Real kind of quiet talk. Yeah. Yeah. It's like whoever that was, um, that was like the thing that he would talk about a lot was like being, uh, having the nutrients stolen from him in the womb. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. My God. What was that guy's name? Char- I cannot. It's, it, it hit me, of course, right after the show's over. Shoot. Um, well, it'll come to us. Yeah. Logan, do you have to remember that guy's name? I don't. Okay. Okay. Do you have your phone on you? I do. I do. So, you know, when we start talking, I'll, I'll pull it up because it's, e- it's easy because of Blackbird I know. being done about him. Okay. Now, for those of you who don't want to listen to chitter chatter, now's the time to exit. Now's the time to know that we appreciate you and value you listening to the episode and you can now exit the show. Larry Hall. Larry Hall. Uh, for the rest of you, we're just going to chat for a little bit, not long, uh, just talk a little bit about the show the yeah. things yeah do you want to kick it off yeah i have some things i you know i think uh, there's probably like uh some curiosity about like where does the patreon money go for like oh, the people yeah. who have supported us for so long like what does it go towards exactly and um you know because it's so different for for from show to show right everyone makes different choices about yep. what they choose to do with that yeah we we have built out a different model than almost any other podcast of, of our size like of somebody just doing like two shows yeah and we have a kind of like a, a business model that would be more similar to like a network that does uh, a lot of shows with a lot of different people mm-hmm. which was something that we had contemplated for uh-huh. a while there was a period of time where uh, we'd been talking to a high level executive at a very well-known uh, podcast player mm-hmm. who was you know wanted to help us do that it is just Such a massive undertaking. Yeah. And so distracting to the content, so disruptive to our lives that it it didn't make sense. And you're yeah. What you guys have come to expect from us and like count on us for, we just didn't feel like we could definitely forever and always guarantee that level of of content, quality content from other creators that we might have brought onto our network. And we watched mm-hmm. other friends, other podcast friends of ours try to bring on outside shows despite them having two wildly successful shows. Yeah. Even they couldn't do it. And after we kind of watched that, we were like, okay, that doesn't seem like a good use of our time and our resources. Yep. So we pulled back on that. And but we still have these uh underpinnings of a network. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it works well for the kind of like shows we do. Yeah. Because we like them to be well curated and um yeah, and just like as, as professional as possible here out of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, we want to like, you know, have our content just be as professional as the content you would get from some Wondery produced show or WNYC mm-hmm. or NPR or whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, like, and so to do that, you know, like um, the money not only goes to charity and towards scholarships, but also towards paying for the full-time employment of Logan Keith, Tyler C., 
Sophie Evans, Olivia Lee. Uh, until recently, we also employed another part-time researcher, Sarah Finch. Um, we've had a few people submit a story here and there, you know, that have been paid. Now we'll be getting a lot of stories from new part-time researcher, Molly Jean Box. Mm -hmm. And when you say like a story as well, it's just like, just to like be clear. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? Oh, say, so, so the story is the way like, okay, on Time Suck, you know, cause they, people work on both. Mm -hmm. They'll submit like preliminary research. And I think there's probably confusion about that too. That'll, that'll generally be in the, uh, oh, 12 to 15,000 word range. Mm -hmm. Sophie's been doing it a long time. I, I let her, um, she will push it. <laughs> she will send in these 20, 25,000 word behemoths. Sophie. And then we'll have to talk about, okay, we got to scale them back. It's just too much. It's too much. I can't, I wear out trying to do that much and add my commentary. But generally, let's say it comes in around 15,000 words. Uh-huh. And then by the time I'm recording it, it's usually 25 to 30,000 words. Mm -hmm. So I'll usually roughly double the word count by adding extra research, by um, you know polishing the narrative, making sure it's in my voice, adding commentary, mythology on the scared to death side. Even if they find a story, I have to make sure it works for my narrative style. Mm -hmm. So I'll change, you know, substitute one adjective for another just to make it like fit for I can kind of envision myself with my mush mouth, where, what words I'm going to have problems with, what rhythms I feel like fit the story the best. And so I, I will spend, you know, if they spend, send in one, uh, I don't know how, how long it takes them to do it, eight, 10 hours to find it, to put it in a compelling narrative form. And then I'll usually spend several hours per scared of death story uh, adding to that. Yeah. And then if I'm doing an original, you know, like of mine that I find and, that, and then like polish up, you know, it might take me a whole day to kind of get that in working order. But that's what, so the researchers, that's what they're doing. They're out finding stories. And what I like about it is it's just like um, another layer of security, if you will. It's like, it's not just me thinking this is a good story to tell. Yes. It's somebody else. And, and different people bring different perspectives. And all of them find stories that I wouldn't naturally be drawn to that I end up really liking. Mm -hmm. And when you want to show to last for years and years, mm -hmm. it's this weird recipe of making sure it stays the same enough to be familiar, mm -hmm. but different enough to not be boring. Right. And it's tricky the longer it goes on. Yeah. So having other people definitely helps. Yeah, so when you guys hear like, you know, on either show, the the thank yous, uh, mm -hmm. I have heard, seen, read, whatever comments about like, oh, he's not even doing it anymore. It's like, oh no, still doing it, just trying to do it smarter yeah. and uh, preserve energy yep. and, um, you know, longevity is the name of the game. And I, and I actually would say I spend more time on adding to someone else's research, especially on the time suck side. Mm -hmm. Than I did initially when the stories were like 45 minutes long. Yeah. That now for these big behemoth two and a half, three hour episodes, mm -hmm. more work will go into that even on just my end, mm -hmm. even with help than when I was doing all of it myself in the very early days. Okay. Well, so, so yeah. So just so, so people know, it's like, yeah, I'm not just, um, you know, when we're hiring people, it's like to help collaborate in a sense not to feed me scripts to read verbatim. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely still my voice. Um, but, I wouldn't be able to kick out the content that we kick out on both these shows and have it be as as nuanced and I think is good mm -hmm. without quite a bit of help. Yeah. So it's a nice little blend. And then the, you know, the money from Patreon also goes to like, you know, video production yep. to purchasing, maintaining equipment, a studio lease, uh, subscriptions to sound bed services for scoring, insurance, security, payroll taxes, on and on. There's all these like little things that add up. <laughs> Do they ever? Any of our small business owners out there, it's like 
you know, for years outside of being a small business owner, I would hear people complain about like, oh, the burden of a small business owner. It's like, it is amazing how just those little things add up. I mean, think about your own household and like, let's say you don't own a business, but you have to drive to work and you have a uniform Mm -hmm. and you have certain requirements and maybe you go out to lunch once a week. Like just, you know, maybe there's parking that you have to pay for. Maybe it just, it does all add up no matter whether you're an owner or an employee the costs of going to work or employing people, they just add up. Yep. And, and we have like the peripheral 1099 employees like Heather Rylander mm-hmm. helping curate the fan yeah. submissions, Drew Atana uh-huh. helping with the, the book pod. We've had a, a, an animator in the background this last year working on animating some of my old stand-up, mm-hmm. Thomas Royal. Mm-hmm. We have a support system at Patreon that mm-hmm. like we have somebody yep. there who like, you know, has a monthly invoice. And- we have your mom doing um, some yep. business coding in the background and also yep. working on the scholarship, which is- uh, And the giving tree. The giving tree, which all that just takes hours. And, you know, and- And we, we had a social media team. We had the app team. Like we yeah. are, we are forever looking at the business, trying to um, restructure it. Yeah. To, to have- Every penny go as far as humanly possible because we know that you can spend your money anywhere you want. So when uh-huh. you are a patron, we take that very seriously. And we don't just, there is a reason that we make the choices we make. And we think like, we kind of think of you guys as our bosses. Like, yeah, you know, collectively, absolutely. And so when you have a boss, you have to answer to them about where's the money going, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's a, a budgetary uh, team of people. And it's like, okay, well, this yeah. is where it's going. And so we just wanted to let you guys know what, your funding. Yeah. And some of the Patreon money, you know, uh, does go to us, but I don't think as much as people think. Well, no, there's like tons of processing fees, which mm-hmm. is a super fun thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and just, you know, on and on and on. There and then are... there, there's payroll. We're mm-hmm. currently being sued. So <laughs> oh, yeah. like there are things that happen that are outside uh-huh. of like, a. And we don't use the Patreon money for that, but because of your support on Patreon, then we can take care of that out of our business. Yeah. Funds. And and by the way, the lawsuit has to do with a, a camp thing, a transportation thing. We can't from, give details from because 2022. Of, from 2022, it is. I will just say, everybody on our side can see very, you know, clearly how fraudulent it is. And it, but it's still, even when it's a fraudulent thing, so have to pay you have for to pay it, all so the to attorney deal. fees. Yep, you have yeah, to pay all the uh, fees. Nonsense. Yeah, so it's like you know things, and that's not the first lawsuit. Joe Paisley got us into a lawsuit because mm-hmm. of can you don't or just don't. Just uh, so yeah, like that was like a trademark. Thing, trademark like thing. he didn't set out to do it, but. Yeah. Like, you know, we asked him to do the research and Yeah, so there's these other things. You know, these things, and it's like an honest mistake. Like, I'm not even like yeah, mad yeah. at him for it. I didn't mean that to come out that way. It's just like yeah. shit just happens. Mm-hmm. Just like everybody else. So, you know, and like and 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 I would say also the Patreon allows us to take chances on things like uh summer camps and things that, you know, like some of our community members seem to really, really love. Yeah. So, you know, could we do this? without Patreon support, not like it is. No. I would say- No, it like, would be like just you and I. It would just be you and I. It would only be audio, no video. Mm-hmm. And it would, uh, there would be no bonus content. There would be none of the charitable, like there would be a lot of We would of still things. do monthly bonus episodes. If it was just you and I, and I'm saying because we weren't getting Patreon support. Oh, 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 right? like, oh I like, see. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if it all went away, yeah. like all of that stuff, and it would just be, and the episodes I think would probably be shorter. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so there would be, you know, it would just be a very, very different look. It wouldn't have all the cool graphics that Logan makes for everything. Yeah, it wouldn't have the sound beds and like the Mm-mm. scoring and, you know, because everybody brings a different set yeah. of talent. Uh, we would hardly ever post on social media. Right, um, totally. Yeah, the, the stories there is the risk that they just become redundant and like, oh my God, Dan, another one of these. It's like, again, when you bring in other people's perspectives, it can be really helpful. Yep. Yep. And then, and then one thing that we had talked about earlier today is, you know, um, 
we are so thankful for the totality of what the charity has amounted to. It's now oh over, God. it's over $700,000 in total. Yeah. So this year, 2023, uh, with your support and your trust, like it's, yeah. it's also, you know, like, you know, uh, how many times have you like given money to something and then just been like, but are they really doing that? It's like, you yeah. know, like we could open our books to you at any time and show you like, here's the, you know, confirmation receipt or what have you. But, uh, you know, it's a big trust that you guys mm -hmm. put in us. And we're really grateful for that. So this year we donated, collectively, you guys donated over $170,000. The exact number is $170,044. 170044 it's like a weird number to say when it's like one seven zero comma zero four four. Really, is that high? I thought it was more like one seventeen, one twenty. That's no one seventy. Wow! And then for the lifetime of since we started doing donations, yeah, we are just over seven hundred seventeen thousand. Wow! Oh, that's right. I had the seventy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The total one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. And and it's all things are still a tiny bit in flux because, uh, you know, you're kind of like looking like okay, are there any like last minute things or whatever? Yeah. Um. But, you know, like our our goal, our dream, our hope when we started doing donations was just to keep doing them and to increase them. Like the first donation ever was like 500 bucks. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, I think it was like Seattle OPS. Yep, um, that's right. That's from right. The Green River Killer. Yep. And I, I was like, oh, my God, $500. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, we write these monthly checks for $13,000, $14,000. And, you know, we get it. Like the economy is challenging. Uh, everybody has stuff. I know on the time suck side, people got real bent about you pulling back and not being able to do the secret suck anymore. Mm -hmm. So we did lose a significant amount of support on Patreon, which was a bummer. It's like, I get it. Like, you know, you feel like, well, I was paying $5 for an extra episode and that's fair, but it also like bummed me out personally where I was like, but that's not all you're getting. Yeah. You know, um, I will say I have felt actually really encouraged by the amount of people who stayed though. Because Yeah, that's true. Most people stayed. So I've chose to like focus on that. Yeah. And feel so grateful about that. Yeah. I, I am grateful. I think for me, I know because too, yeah. I make the monthly donations, I've just seen the dollar amount go down a little bit, a little yeah. bit from the height of them. And I'm yeah. like, oh man, because I am a giver and I just like, I want to like save everyone and I want to do more. So for me, it's like, I want to say like, come back, please. Cause like we can't, <laughs> yeah. we can't do those donations without you guys. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, we, we have goals, but, um, you know, originally I thought that next year we'd be able to hit a totality of $1 million worth of donations because, because of the way things have shaken out over this yeah. last year, it'll probably take us two years to get there, but, but it's crazy, still yeah. an incredible, uh, goal. And mm -hmm. it's an incredible thing that you guys have afforded us the opportunity to do. Yeah. And then there's the scholarship fund, which is yeah. not factored into these numbers. Uh, there's the giving tree, you know, and, and there are just like the little things that we get to do here and there just because, you know, like when we went mm -hmm. to summer camp, you know, we asked anybody who came like, Hey, the bartenders here are willing to not take tips, but if you wanted to tip, we'll add that money to this month's donation. So we get to do cool stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. that wouldn't be possible. And then, um, yeah, like people are always asking like, well, how can we support you? How can we, you know, make this uh, beneficial for you or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know the sponsors are frustrating. Like we get it. Uh, but like you using the sponsor codes for something that you were already going to buy anyways, mm -hmm. that actually is a huge deal because yeah. that means that our ad company 
remains happy and invested in us. And that, you know, helps us also like maintain the business. That's it allows me to not tour this next year and just focus on just podcasting. And yeah. your health. Yeah, my health. Yep, yep, exactly. Yep. It's a really big deal to us to practice what we preach. And you guys know that, you know, mental health awareness and taking care of yourself is something that we've talked about for years. Mm -hmm. And now it's time for us to actually really actively do that. We are really excited about that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I know sometimes I poke around in the socials more than I, I don't get involved. And it's okay when you guys say stuff that you're like, I didn't like this episode. I'm not like in there defending us. Like everyone's entitled to their opinions and that's all totally fine and okay. Um, but I have seen like, oh, well, I guess they just don't need us or they just don't want. It's like, it's not, you know, when it came to like the end of the secret. Oh, suck. yeah. It's like, no, it's not that. Like you don't stop going to see Tom Cruise movies because Tom Cruise uh, is a gajillionaire now. It's like, do you like what he's doing? Yeah, then you go see the movie. It's just as simple as that. And it's like, we do actually still need you guys in order to, yeah. I just want to like make that so clear. Like you're never taken for granted here. You're no, always huh? appreciated. We genuinely think of you as our bosses. Yeah, that pulling back on that, I mean, pulling back on that was in my mind, very much a thing of like, if I don't pull back on some things, and, you know, touring and the secret suck, it's like the burnout was so real that all of this was going to go away. And quickly. For sure. Like, you know, it, it would, uh, within the, I had said it in my head, like, okay, I can, I can make it to, you know, we have this contractual obligation until the April of 2025 with our sponsors. I can make it to that, but then I am fucking out. Yeah. Like it just, uh, just so incredibly burnout, which feels a lot like a, a, a big depression. Yeah. You, you just, and, and yeah, it's kind of hard to explain, but like. But now what I'm excited about is, you know, because of the support we've still gotten mm -hmm. and that, that like fan, it does feel so good and it makes me want to keep doing this for a long time. It is a very like a reciprocal relation or, yeah. or a symbiotic relationship where it's like we put the stuff out and then if enough support comes back in, it feels so good, not just financially, but just like artistically to have yeah. people like it that much. And a community. And a community that makes me like, okay, I want to keep it, keep it going. Mm -hmm. And so- I feel really thankful that like, oh, okay, like I can pull back and have a life, still make content and still have it be supported, mm -hmm. which makes me want to like give more to the audience this next year. I don't know what, what that's going to look like because I have to be careful of my time yeah. and not just burn myself out again. Mm -hmm. But it's just nice to be in a place where like now I feel like the most invested I've ever felt with all this and yeah. want to keep it going as long as possible. And that, and that is directly related to fan support. Yeah. And the community that exists because of these shows. It is so unique. It is so special. Uh, I'm sure there are other podcasts that have other communities. We're just, when you're wrapped up in podcasting, making podcasts, you have such little time to enjoy other podcasts. Yeah. We, we try to like hop in and out, but even if we're listening to like an episode of this or episode of that, we don't have time to investigate these other communities mm -hmm. or be enmeshed in these communities. So of course we think that we are the only podcast with this kind of amazing community. But when we talk to other creators, they are like, wait, your community did what now for yeah, each other? Amazing. So I do still stand that we have the very best fans. And like, just as an example, like recently I saw in the Cult of the Curious, like somebody couldn't afford to keep their heat on. They needed like 60 bucks and the amount of like comments and support and everything. And it was like, this person got the help they needed. And we've all had our backs against the wall at one time or another. I know I've had my back against the wall many fucking times. There have been times, whatever. But it's just like to see a community of essentially strangers who just have this one commonality come mm -hmm. together. I just don't hear about that in other podcast communities. So 
it's very important to me to like protect it, feed it, take care of it, love it. I know mm-hmm. it is for you too. Yeah. And um and you know, give back to you the way that you give to us. So thank you for listening. Thank mm-hmm. you for rate the ratings and reviews. It sounds so dumb. It is so important. And you should do it for all the shows that you enjoy. Yeah. Uh, because it really does, it helps you rise in the charts and it helps for exposure. If you are buying something and you can afford to uh, you know, buy an aura frame, it's like please use our codes. If you're buying something uh, that we don't have a code for and you listen to another show, like support them. We are firm believers that when one show, one talent rises, we all rise together. Uh, so even if you can't for us, do it for somebody else. And um, and if you can afford to be a patron, a patron, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, on Patreon, we'd love to have you there. And if you can't, like, just keep listening and, and just spread that. Yeah. Spread that STD, spread that suck. Know that we love you. Yeah, and, and the love for the show, I, 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 we haven't announced this here yet, I think, but it's coming up in February here on oh, Scared yeah. to Death. Uh, I'm really excited. You know, like, like, yeah, when you feel invested in a show and you feel like fans love a show, you as a creator want to give do more with that show. And, uh, you know, I don't want to tinker with the recipe of the Tuesday night episodes be for all the people who love it as it is. But we are going to be introducing, starting in February. Something for people who don't like the chick. <laughs> no, but I'm just going to be doing, it's just going to be little mini episodes of um, horror fiction. I think it's going to be called like the anti-chick show. <laughs> the anti-chick show. <laughs> but um, but it's just going to be, it'll be some originals by me. It'll be some originals by our writing team. Yeah, you're just going to try out like a different, yep. uh, it's like flexing a different muscle in your brain. Mm-hmm. It'll just be for, you know, a lot of people who love horror. Yeah. Yes, they love true horror, but they also love fictional horror. Sure. And it'll just be, you know, um, hopefully uh, a little short story a story you find scary, maybe 20, 30, 40 minutes long, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. And a couple times a month, just a little bonus thing will pop up in your feed. Yep. And that will be for just patrons. That will be for that'll everyone. Be for everybody. That's for everyone. Yep. That'll be, but like patron support. And I support, won't be there. I won't be there. Patron support allows us to take these other kind of like little chances and stuff. Exactly. And just like for clarity on that, Dan and I did discuss it at great length. And the kind of stories that he's telling, it's like, we're not looking for a reaction. He's just looking to tell a story. So uh, there's no need for me to be involved in that space. Yeah. And, and I am not a writer. So it just doesn't appeal to my skill set to write my own stories and then share them. So this will just yeah. be- uh, Like an audiobook. Yeah. and But we're like very much in it together. So just like before like yeah, the yeah, rumors yeah, yeah, yeah. fly- uh, I'm just joking about the chick, but the chick won't be here. And yeah. uh, who knows? The chick some down the road might do her own uh, separate content. You never know. You never know. Um, but the dude, the the strong man, yeah. will be telling you some strong man stories. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. It's like a ridiculous joke in our house about like the strong men of our family, which uh-huh. is Dan Kyler Monroe, but not me. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, well, thanks for listening to us ramble on. Um, if you enjoyed that, that is what the bonus episodes are like. We do a couple of stories up top, and then every month we we talk about a variety of things. Sometimes we're talking about marriage, kids, business. Uh, we don't we don't generally dip our toes into like anything super controversial. Like we don't, and we haven't thus far yeah. talked about like anything political. Or we really just. What we aim to do in those bonus episodes is to just um, pull back the curtain a little bit and just expose ourselves a little bit further as just the regular humans that we are. Mm -hmm. And we find that there's a lot of humanity uh, in that for everyone. Just be like, oh yeah, they're just a couple just trying to figure it out just like me. And I know I often feel very alone sometimes. And so it can be really helpful 
from that mental health angle to hear other people talking about it and being like, oh my God, it's not just me. Great. I feel better. Yeah. Yep. And that's it. That's happy, it. happy 2023, you guys. What an incredible year. Yeah, that's our that's our last uh, show of the year here. Uh, thanks for continuing to send your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can continue to email us for everything else. Info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Just a reminder, like, that's where the chick is. So, like, if, you know, you want to send me some more hateful emails, I am down for oh, it. Oh, man. No, I, I love them. I screenshot them and they make me laugh. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, thank you to Logan Keith, editing and publishing today's show. Thanks to Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Book editor Drew Atana, polishing and preparing listener stories for book number five. Thank you to Sophie Evans, Sophie Evans finding the first story I told this week and Olivia Lee finding the second. We're on YouTube if you'd like to watch. And we're on Facebook and Instagram where we post pics that accompany episodes and more at Scared to Death Podcast. And we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, full of fellow horror lovers. Enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you have a great end to your 2023 and hope you were scared to death. See you next year. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. Bad Magic Productions. This is the last scare to death ever. It's the last, I'm done. That's it. I this, quit. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Everyone oh. calm down. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.